Hello. Biblical literacy among evangelicals is at a shocking new low. Let's discuss. Welcome to the Forge and Anvil podcast, where we embrace uncomfortable conversations about culture and politics to sharpen ourselves for the race set before us. My name is Connor. I am host of this podcast. If you would like to support the show, feel free to go to forgeandanvil.locals.com. We appreciate your support. Joining me to discuss today is regular guest of the show, Michael Aper. Michael, say hi. Hello, friends. My name is Michael Aper. I'm a student of scripture. I just want to know Jesus better, and I want to help others know as well. Awesome. So let's get into this. Every two years, LifeWay does a state of theology study that shows whether or not evangelicals still hold to biblical beliefs. So this is directly from the, uh, the study itself. Despite the clear teaching of scripture, this year's survey reveals that approximately half of evangelicals believe that God learns and adapts to various situations, meaning that they believe that God does change. These results show that American evangelicals and the general U.S. population are essentially equivalent in their agreement with this statement. Nearly half of both groups believe that God changes by learning and adapting. This may indicate the influence of open theism, which denies God's complete knowledge of future events, and process theology, which denies God's omnipotence and asserts that he does undergo changes within the evangelical church. This finding may also indicate a lack of clear biblical teaching on the character of God in evangelical churches. It goes on to talk about the topic of original sin. The fact that two-thirds of evangelicals believe that humans are born in a state of innocence reveals that the biblical teaching of original sin is not embraced by most evangelicals. God's word, however, makes clear that all humans are by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 3. This truth is foundational for an accurate understanding of the gospel and of our absolute need for the grace of God in salvation. It goes on to talk about what I think is one of the big takeaways from the article. Some 56% of evangelicals agreed with the idea that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, in contrast to Jesus' words in Matthew that, without him, no one knows the Father. The most stunning results had to do with the topic of Jesus Christ's divinity. When asked whether they agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God, 43% of American evangelicals answered yes. That number is up 13% from just two years ago. So there's a whole lot to unpack there. But Michael, what are your takeaways? Well, I'd like to, I'd like to touch on each of these different items um, throughout our conversation. The first thing that comes to mind for me is... When I first went to college, I was at a little community college, and my first ever Bible class was Biblical Backgrounds of Literature. It was not a Christian class. It was a Bible class that was being taught by a very adamant atheist, or as he would have 
described himself, he was not an atheist, but an apatheist, because in his words, he didn't care whether God existed or not. However, he had spent a large portion of his life studying scripture, and one of his greatest criticisms of our culture, even as an apatheist, was that biblical literacy was at an all-time low. Hmm. Now, this is coming from uh, what I will refer to as an atheist, because he did not affirm biblical truths. He just recited biblical texts and manipulated them for his own keeping. But if biblical literacy is valuable for culture in in the secular world, how much more valuable is it for those who hold scripture to be true? And in this article towards the end, it says that 95% of evangelicals say that the Bible is true and useful for teaching. So if these people are going to affirm that it is in fact true, and truth in itself is something that can be misconstrued a lot, but if that's going to be a basis that we orient ourselves towards within the church, then how much more important is it for us to have biblical literacy? That's my initial take, at least. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the most concerning out of the different uh, topics that were covered in that? Mm. Well, most concerning is, uh, I think, uh, where it says 43% don't affirm the divinity of Christ. Now, that percentile is questionable because they're saying 43% of evangelicals. I was never asked. And certainly there's many, many people within the church, how they would define evangelical is also something in question because that's uh, non-inclusive of a lot of Orthodox Christian mm-hmm. traditions. It also could be inclusive of some unorthodox traditions that claim to be Christian, such as uh, Mormons or, mm-hmm. or um, Jehovah's Witnesses, both are large sects of pseudo-Christianity that do not affirm the divinity of Christ, even in their own acclaimed theology. Yeah. But that's the biggest problem, simply because the affirmation of Christ as Lord is a necessary component to our salvation. So if 43% of evangelicals are lacking that, then we can be certain that there's many people in the church or in the Protestant North American evangelical church, however you want to categorize those things, that are so biblically illiterate and misunderstanding of scripture that they are lacking probably the most vital part of the New Testament. And part of that is cultural issues with the world it's also part cultural issues within the church you know many of us were raised to pray the sinner's prayer but the sinner's prayer is not necessary for salvation and it's not biblical it's not to say that it hasn't been a useful evangelical tool to help people understand the necessity of salvation and repentance from their sin but I'd rather teach scripture than tradition. <laughs> and right. Maybe that's the Protestant in me. Right. There's a lot to unpack about theology in the church. I feel like whenever I have these discussions, I 
I struggle because I think that there is um, definitely a legalism that can take root and I think has taken root in um, in certain individuals that I've you know just seen either uh, you know in an online setting or entire denominations and things like that um, so something that I'd maybe like to explore with you throughout this conversation is what a healthy dose of biblical literacy tied into proper theology um, while at the same time not getting so fixed on it that we become legalistic. Um, I'm not sure if that's something that is a concern for you and maybe maybe we're probably floating you know on the uh, spectrum of being too illiterate and not caring enough about theology much more than we are close to being um, you know overthinking theology. but uh, I will say there is an obvious lack of unity in the American church especially. And to me, I do see a lot on YouTube, um, you know, just going to talk about, uh, you know, individuals that also have channels like this that um, are very quick to call out people for what they would call heresy or, um, you know, false doctrine. And I think a lot of it can be well-intentioned and a lot of it is probably accurate as well. But I've also seen some individuals on um you know, online platforms blast people that I never heard any heresy from, but, you know, it, it, and it always makes me wonder, am, am I just missing something here or are we being a little too legalistic? Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, there's a few thoughts that come to mind. Uh, first of which, as a broad statement, is that it's easy to point out what people say that is not scriptural. It is more challenging to speak scripturally and fewer people speak truth from scripture as do speak of the malfeasance of people who mistake scripture or mistake scripture in the first place. So that I think is just something that what I think we should be striving for is not just to criticize others, but to promote truth right. and not to simply promote truth by the omission of falsehood, but to promote truth directly by speaking it openly. That's a really important part of this. And that's something I hope we can achieve in this conversation. But um, to go back to the legalism, legalism is a, it's an interesting, interesting development of the church through the past century, even we could say where Christians in the twenties and the, teens the 1920s were uh, in even thereafter in the wake of the war world war ii there were these uh, camp meetings and tent repentance and revivals that were taking place where people were coming to faith in hordes on on emotions and on uh, feelings and were given baseline structures now a lot of people were saved through these campaigns and i think like um Oh goodness, what's the the main preacher who Billy Graham Crusades? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Billy Graham, I think, did a lot of good, but yeah. in the midst of that good came a lot of Christians that lacked catechism. Yep, absolutely. And for those who don't know, catechism is doctrinal teachings from the church. Yeah, it's a it's a form of tradition that's been around since the Reformation, if not long, long before that. But 
uh, catechism is something that is only really specifically identified in certain denominations or, or church heritages. Yeah. However, the principle of catechism is absolutely necessary in any church tradition because it simply means understanding scripture and understanding how scripture applies to our lives. So with a lack of catechism and a passion for righteousness comes dogmatism. I think that's a very clear uh, causation in our culture where we've seen people who are passionate about this is right and this is wrong, but they can't substantiate that claim through scripture or through yeah. proper teaching and doctrine. And what that creates is our generation and our generation are ones that reject dogmatism of self-imposed righteousness and have instead espoused themselves to progressive theology and progressive theology is oftentimes characterized by the rejection of legalism so much so that like was listed in this in this whole category is um, people who think that all religions are honoring to god or people that think that all sexual orientations are honoring to god and can be bound by redemption and holiness and holiness is not even something i think people understand of what it is so universalism that's the the formal term for thinking that anyone who prays to a god is praying to the god right. or that people can be saved by simple uh, acknowledgement of a higher power that's universalism and i think there's lots and lots of scripture that directly negates that and it's even mentioned in the article and i'd encourage any listener to read the article saying that you know jesus says in matthew no one comes to the father except through the son so we better acknowledge the son right yeah and i don't know what are your thoughts connor on that that brief summation of how our culture has changed in response to the different ways that religiosity has been promoted yeah i i agree with you completely i ultimately think that you know you you can um you can't trace the the exact change in our culture um because i mean the reality is um uh, poor theology is is not a new concept um, progressive theology is not a new concept. Oftentimes it might be called different things, but ultimately that is something that has been around since, uh, I mean, the dawn of the dawn of the world, <laughs> you know, um, since the Garden of Eden. So um, I think when it comes to specifically the American context, I think you're you're on to something when you're talking about um, how it's kind of a response to, religiosity and legalism within the American church, because I do think that you can point back to unhealthy, um, you know, unhealthy churches in the past. And of course the unfortunate truth is there's always going to be unhealthy churches. There's no escaping that. I do think that there are unfortunately individuals that want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, the moment they find a flaw in any church and newsflash, every single church has flaws. You might not see them as much in some churches as you do others, but every single church has flaws. Now, obviously, there is some 
serious accountability that needs to be taking place if there's some very blatant, unrepentant, sinful nature, especially coming from leadership within a church. But to go back to my point, I do think that there were maybe um, some unhealthy doses of legalism about things like purity culture or, um, you know, about things like, um, like, uh, you know, our leadership roles for women in the church or things like that. And I have my strong opinions about that. And some of them are not popular at all. But uh, my point is, oftentimes, it's the way that the conversation was approached that really pushed people into this non-judgmental um, theology that ultimately ends up being so open-minded that your brain falls out. You know, and that's that's a, a major issue within the American church. And I say the American church because ultimately we are a country that has the freedom of religion. And one, you know, unfortunate um, uh, consequence of that freedom is that ultimately we are less unified as a church because we don't have opposition that's forcing us to be unified on one subject because we have to be unified in order to survive. And that's a that's a huge blessing, but also a curse in its own way of us having so many factions of the American church. And ultimately, you can find any church that caters to what you want to hear if you really wanted to. You can go to a health and wealth, um, prosperity gospel preaching church, or you can go to one that just is a, as, it's a TED talk on a Sunday morning with good worship music or um, not even worship music at all. Just a rock show with a TED talk at the end of it. Um, and or you could do your due diligence and find a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church that has God-honoring worship. And maybe we need to do a better job as Christian individuals of promoting that as well as um, showing people how they can find those kind of churches. Um, you mentioned doing your due diligence. So what does that look like for a common Christian? What is the due diligence that we're called to? Yeah. Well, obviously, that's uh, that's something that people might disagree on to a slight degree. But I think ultimately, you should just know Scripture. I think that we are called to know what Scripture says. Um, you know, Psalms 1 talks about how blessed is the man who meditates on Scriptures day and night. He will be like a tree planted by still waters, bearing fruit in its season. And even that um, that exact uh, term in its season, my wife pointed out to me very recently, um, you know, just how true that is. You're not going to start reading the Bible and understand it overnight and have these massive theological, spiritual breakthroughs and become so wise overnight. But I do believe that um, wisdom is something that the Lord gives generously as it says in the Proverbs. And if you ask, you will become wiser. And But that does take a little bit of time. But ultimately, that wisdom comes from meditating on the words day and night so that you can become like a tree planted by still waters, bearing fruit in your season, and you will bear fruit in your season. And of course, you know, John 1 says that um, <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And that scripture is crucial as well. You want to understand God. You want to understand your creator. You need to be in the word daily. And if it's only a little bit, you know, um, ultimately, just look at where you're at right now. Are you reading the word every day? No? Well, there's your start. If it's only one verse a day, that's, that's an improvement. Ultimately, I think it's, 
I mean, ultimately, I think that we're not challenged enough in the church. And I would say that uh, every single Christian should bare minimum read one chapter a day. Because if you can't find time to fit in one chapter a day, it honestly takes the average person probably five minutes to read. You probably need to clear your calendar if you can't pull that off. But that's a, a bit of a rant to give you an answer. But that's ultimately what I think we need to do is we need to know scripture, know what it says and meditate on it day and night. Yeah, some of the spiritual disciplines that come largely from tradition promote these things as, as forms of catechism, spiritual disciplines being the reading aloud of scripture, the memorization of scripture and other practices of studying scripture mm -hmm. in community think are, are overlooked in the culture of church that is largely propagated by individuals attending a service that whether it's a Bible-believing church or a TED talk with a worship band, no matter what the form, there's a majority of churchgoers in the United States and elsewhere that show up as maybe a form of saying this is where i'll receive the information that i need mm -hmm. and they come to the church with the expectance that the preacher is going to equip them yep i think that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the church community is meant for or yep. described as in scripture. the the church community is meant exactly for that is community and for mm -hmm. communion and the exchange of of camaraderie and encouragement to bear one another's burdens to pray for one another and to engage with one another in discipleship but the equipping for ministry and the equipping for discipleship is the demand of the individual and it's a it's a practice of discipline that you need to take as a personal initiative and those initiatives are daily. Those initiatives are ceaseless. You know, Hebrews say, pray without ceasing. Um, how much of scripture says to know scripture? And what is it? First Peter says, be prepared to answer any question, testing everything. Uh, I think you can only do that with a healthy knowledge of the text. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think that someone might listen to this who is maybe, you know, not in our camp of, you know, saying yes and amen to everything that we, we've just laid out. Um, instead, they might be feeling like that's a tall order that I don't think I can pull off. Um, what would be your advice to someone in that camp? I get it. I was raised in the church. I felt a unique call in my heart to follow Christ when I was just 12 years old. And by the time I was 15, 16 years old, I felt a unique calling from the Holy Spirit to go to ministry. And yet my personal devotion throughout the past, well, throughout the, the 10 years following my unique calling to scripture and to the kingdom's work, in that time, I lacked devotion severely. It's yeah. always been very difficult for me to take daily devotion time and to say, I'm going to spend 10 minutes a day doing this. And it might happen for a week. It might happen for two weeks. And then I fall off and get discouraged. 
And uh, something that I would want to encourage someone in that position is that, yeah, now I'm in a place where I spend an excess of five hours a day studying scripture because of the position that I am in in my life, in my attendance at the seminary that I'm enrolled at, and in my the discipline of my scholarship and my livelihood is dependent upon it. That does not mean that, that that's the expectation. Right. I would say the expectation, and I hesitate to even say expectation, the expectation would be to always improve. Yeah. And if you say, if you look at your life and say, I've done nothing to pursue the knowledge of scripture in my entire life, well, then if you open up and read the first sentence of any chapter of any book in the Bible, then you've improved upon that expectation right. of yourself. And if the next day you choose to read two verses, that's fantastic. And if 10 years from now you decide, you realize that the, the attrition that's taken place by that mindset will have taken you to a point where you are knowledgeable and literary, um, not literary, literate, goodness, biblically literate in a way that is edifying not only to yourself, but the influence that you can have on others who also will be at a different point in their own sanctification. I think that is a part of sanctification. And for those who listen, don't understand or know what sanctification is, that is simply the act of being made holy through the Holy Spirit and dwelling in our lives. When we accept Jesus and accept the, the baptism with fire is what, what Jesus would call it. Or really, yeah, what Jesus says to John the Baptist is, or sorry, what John the Baptist says of Jesus is, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one whose sandals I am not fit to untie. He will baptize with fire and the spirit. And I think that is something that a lot of people might read Acts chapter 2 and say, wow, wouldn't it be cool if the church was like that? Well, I hate to break it to you, if there are primarily North American churchgoers listening to this, but that is happening in a lot of the world. Yeah. There are outbreaks throughout South America and in nations where the church is being oppressed, where God himself is appearing to people in manifest power and convincing Muslims to convert to Christianity and to engage in scripture reading by insane means that we would never comprehend and yet we sit here with you know i've got a list of bibles up there and how often in my life have i chosen to watch netflix instead of studying scripture on a day that i've maybe not even cracked a bible open now that for me is frustrating because i i hold that perspective but the bottom line is when we're being sanctified, we are engaging in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power of the Holy Spirit will adjust your will to study, even when it's difficult, even when you lack discipline. It's something that will work in your life so long as you are conforming to that. You know, Romans 12 says, no longer 
conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. And if we could just do that, the transformation of the mind is a powerful and beautiful thing. And it's not an overnight thing. It is, it is a war of attrition and being intentional is for me, what has caused me to make leaps and bounds in my devotional life. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to give some practical steps for a first timer who wants to uh, find a good starting place. Cause maybe you are listening in and either you have never read the Bible before, or maybe you used to have a really disciplined, um, a devotional life and now you've fallen off the wagon or whatever the case may be. But if you're in a camp that where you need some direction on where to start, because maybe you're not going to take that agency on your own, then I'm going to encourage you to start um, by reading uh, the gospel of John. I think the gospel of John is a great place to start and don't worry about jumping straight to the old Testament, starting at Genesis. I think get a handling on the gospel of John. Um, if you need a Bible translation, I think the NLT is a really good one. If you're new to the scriptures, I think it, it lays out the scripture in a way that is very easy to read um, very quickly. And then if you want something a little bit more in-depth and a little bit more scholarly, then you can maybe move on to the ESV translation of the Bible. Um Beyond that, if you don't have a study Bible, I highly recommend getting one. That's going to help guide you through the scriptures as well. You might have a question about something, and in the margins, there's literally a question and answer for the same question that you might have about that scripture. And it's going to give you context about when certain books of the Bible were written, who they were written to, why they were written, the way they were, things like that that are going to be really crucial to slowly expand your knowledge of scripture and to get context that will be very beneficial for you to unpack what it is you are reading. And then once you have more familiarity with scripture, if you want to seek an outside resource for things like theology, because sometimes theology is not clear from just reading scripture. Um, it takes a lot of practice and understanding of scripture before you can really unpack certain theological concepts. So it might be good to have someone walk you through that. Um, so I have two different book recommendations of good, like starter theology kind of, uh, of books um, for you to start with. One of them is Essential Truths of the Christian Faith by R.C. Sproul. Um, that one's good because um, that one is actually done kind of a devotional format. You can get through um, one of the 100 teachings um, a day within maybe 10 minutes or less of reading. Um, then another one is 20 Basics Every Christian Should Know by Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem wrote a really thick systematic theology book, and this is essentially his massive systematic theology book shrunk down to a incredibly thin, I don't even know if it's 100 pages, book on just real basic beginner theology. And it might be good just to check with, see, do you believe in these things? Do you not believe in these things, challenge yourself, see where your theology is, that might be a good place to start with. So um, now I do want to issue a challenge beyond that. But before we get into that, Michael, do you have any additional beginner tips that you would give? Absolutely. Uh, when it comes to reading materials, certainly don't be limited to R.C. Sprawl or to Wayne Grudem. They, 
they're in a camp mm -hmm. that is not agreed upon by all scholars yep and don't feel limited to that there's many many quality scholars that have written a lot about justification about scriptural interpretation um nt wright alistair mcgrath uh, come from different perspectives and backgrounds and even know that you don't have to listen to or you don't have to read modern interpretations either mm -hmm. there have been a wide variety of scholars throughout antiquity that have been true to scripture as best as they know how like even if you want to go back to martin luther yeah. uh, martin luther wrote a small catechism that's just like the books that connor's describing it is 50 60 pages that define christian doctrine in accordance with the scriptures so really there's lots and lots of resources and no matter what resources you are engaging with i'd encourage you to weigh that against scripture specifically yes. as well as talking through it with individuals in your life because if you get so bound to one ideology or another without going back and comparing it to scripture you could become dogmatic in a perspective yeah. as well and then one more thing that i'd like to add to that i'm sorry connor reading is very challenging for people who do not practice reading mm. and if that's you and if you struggle to open a book and look at pages if you fall asleep as soon as your eyes lay on the words that's something that god can sanctify in your life as well and you might start by utilizing digital resources such as uh, like a bible app you know the uversion bible app has lots of bible studies in it it also has audio tracks where you can listen to scriptures that's really valuable i tend to use the blue letter bible because it has other resources such as like lexicons and interlinears for linguistic purposes but even in addition to that I think one of the most elementary approaches is something like the uh, the Bible project on YouTube. Little videos like that that can give you an introductory level understanding in four or five minutes on yeah. what a book is talking about. And you could maybe get an overview of what the book of John is trying to achieve. And then go back, listen to it on your version or whatever Bible app, listen to an audio track. And once you've had that passive information being put into you, it might encourage you and make it more approachable to then open the pages and lay your eyes on the words. Absolutely. Yeah. These are not hard and fast rules that you have to be rigid in. And yeah, like Michael already said, you know, different authors are going to have different perspectives and ultimately you just have to compare them to scriptures. But those are some good starting places, some good authors to maybe start considering to widen your perspectives and uh, start to get um, some additional understanding of scriptures. But ultimately, if you only do one thing, focus on the word. Now, that being said, the challenge that I wanted to kind of issue here, I think the church does not, at least the American church, does not expect very much of its its members. And I truly do think that uh, individuals get by in the American church with little knowledge of the scriptures. And I do not think that that is a recipe for long-term spiritual success. So 
ultimately growing up i read the bible semi-regularly and i think i was a nice kid and i think that i was someone that um parents and sunday school teachers looked at as being a well-to-do young child going into young student and ultimately i think so many people were telling me that i had a call to ministry on my life and i look back on that and i think how sad is it that people thought that simply because i seem to have an interest in scripture and that seems to be foreign in a young student ultimately that is such a small bar to hit for criteria of someone who should then go on and serve the church with their entire career in ministry. And I think that that speaks a lot to the state of the American church. So ultimately I would say that, you know, um, there's a lot of grace for individuals who have yet to start their, their learning of scriptures. And like Michael said, if you, if you read one scripture today and you normally don't read scripture, you've already seen an improvement and that is huge. And we celebrate that and we definitely encourage that. But at the same time, there are some of you that I would challenge myself included to go beyond where you've been. You can rise to a higher level of devotion within your consumption of scriptures. Um, and again, I'm not saying that in a legalistic way either. I'm simply saying we need to push one another. We are called to spur one another on towards righteousness. And I think that reading scriptures and meditating on the word is one of the fastest ways to grow in wisdom and in righteousness. Obviously, we can talk through so many other um, spiritual disciplines, um, but uh, just for the sake of this video and our conversation and the focus of this conversation, I would say that be challenged in a positive way. You can rise to the occasion of, of truly discovering what the Lord has for you in his words. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Michael. Yeah, it is. It's saddening to think that a kid who actually believes the bible is considered an outlier who should definitely right. go into ministry but and while i totally see what you're saying because i had the same interactions all of my childhood just by nature of doing what my parents told me to which was just memorize scripture and to care about it <laughs> i will say i, I want to for at least a brief moment, take away the stigma of being called to ministry. Because if you yeah. think that someone who is inclined towards scripture memorization or understanding or theological mindedness, if that's your understanding of who's called to ministry, I'd like to take you to Matthew chapter 28, the very end of the book of Matthew, when Jesus has been resurrected and his final words to his disciples are go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age so if you think that 
a kid is only called to ministry if they know the Bible well. It's wrong. Yep. We're all called to ministry so long as we profess the name of Christ. And ministerial calling does not have to be vocational ministry. It does not have to be local pastorate ministry. But we are compelled by Scripture. If we do believe it, then we're compelled by Scripture to uphold the truths that Jesus has taught us throughout the entirety of Scripture and to go performing these ordinances of baptism and sharing the word of God and teaching others to observe the commandments as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, ultimately, that's pretty much a wrap on our conversation. There's so much that we can go on for hours talking about more, but hopefully this has been a blessing to you in some way. Um, Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Forge and Anvil podcast. If you want to support the show, feel free to go to forgeandanvil.locals.com. Michael, where can people find you? You can find me tomorrow morning at about 4.30 a.m. writing a paper in my study. Awesome. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for listening.